Now, I know that we are supposed to go over Matthew 7 today, but there is, I just have to share something that the Lord has placed on my heart with you. In the months since I've traveled south to be a troll again, God has opened my eyes to so much. He has shown me the things I can do to earn more of his favor. Now, God loves me, this I know, but there's felt like a disconnect between me and God because of some of the habits in my life and some of the habits that I should be doing. You see, we think because of what Christ has done, we don't have to work at our relationship with God. But we have been given so much from God that we must work to give it back to God. See, when you do good works, you're earning favor with God. So if you want to feel closer and really put a smile on his face, make sure you're dedicating time to doing our part because James, after all, tells us faith without works is dead, right? We can't expect to get to heaven without doing our part. We should be prophesying about God's revelation that we're seeing in world events today that tells us that he's coming very soon. We should be doing miracles and casting out demons that plague our people. We are supposed to be doing greater works than Jesus. Those are his own words, right? And he, through his work, he brought us home so our works can help us do the same. So that's the beginning of my sermon. I'm not done preaching yet. But what do you think? Are you excited that I came back to preach today and meet my family? Some of you are new and you may not know me and you're like, who is this guy? Others of you may be thinking, maybe I just misspoke or I didn't mean what I said. Others of you have a tickle in your ear that are telling you to search the scriptures to make sure what I said was true. And you should. Because what you just heard was false prophecy and false teaching. No matter who stands before you in a pulpit or on a TV screen or in your Bible study, you must be discerning and the only way you can do that is through the word of God. You've been in this series about Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. And I reached out to Jim to see if I could cover one of my favorite passages. And let's just say he was happy to hand it over. <laughs> Our text for today is Matthew 7, 15 through 23. Would you please rise with me as we read the sacred scriptures together? Hear now the word of the Lord. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. May the, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Are we a little ahead? Yeah. All right. So this passage tells us about three things. 
It tells us to be on guard against false prophets, how we can recognize them, and that is by doing the Father's will that we can enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's dive in. I think we're ahead, guys. That's the first one you have? Okay. Um, Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been telling us about blessings, who we are, how to handle personal relationships, how to pray, how to fast, how to give, how to manage our anxiety, how to exude proper judgment, and how to treat one another. Last week, Jim started the ending section of the Sermon on the Mount with the narrow and wide gates placed before us, the narrow way of Christ and the wide gate that leads to hell. From here, Jesus in this section is warning us about those teachers who speak falsehoods about the kingdom as we enter through the narrow gate. The first thing Jesus tells us is to beware. The word here is prosecco, meaning to pay attention or take care, to be alert. We are not merely to coast on in our pursuit of following Jesus, but to always be on guard. Like a sentry at our post, we cannot be passive or fall asleep. But beware of what? Beware of those who would lead you astray. The wolves. Let's put this in the context. Jesus is talking to these Israelites in ancient Israel. And if they were sitting in front of their house and a sheep would walk by, they would think nothing of it. They would have no problems. They would not be scared. But you better believe if a wolf walks around the corner, they would run into their homes and flee. And Jesus here isn't just talking about a wolf that's easily spotted. No, he's talking about someone who is deceptive. He's talking about those who appear gentle and harmless, but inwardly they are destructive and dangerous. That's who he's talking about. These people will blend in with other true believers, but inwardly they desire to twist the word of God. In the text, it says that they are ravenous. Now, I know quite a few of you, but have you ever been so hungry or starved that you look at the food in front of you with a little drool on you? Have you ever looked at a steak and just, I want to tear that thing apart? Or a fish, maybe a pike better in this area. <laughs> or have you looked at a food with so much desire for it, it just, it's just not right. It doesn't look right. That's what we're talking about here. These wolves are looking to devour people. These are false prophets. That's what they're like. They want to tear you apart from your faith. They describe as being ferocious because they are of their father, the devil. When I think of the word ravenous or ferocious in this context of false prophets, I think of politicians who stand before you and smile, shake your hand and say, I promise this will happen and it's for your good and I care about you. But inwardly they don't, that you are just a piece in their scheme. That's what these false prophets are like. And these are not just pastors or TV evangelists, no. These can be people in your Bible studies. These can be people who are your worship leaders. This is anybody that is standing before you to teach or lead you in the word of God. Anyone can fulfill this role. They will create a false Jesus. They will excuse their own sins and the sins of others. And they will minimize idolatry, just to name a few things. And this tearing apart is not just immediate. No, it can be subtle as if to lull the sheep to sleep in complacency, as if to make them feel 
comfortable in a false sense of love and acceptance and tolerance. We've heard a lot about that recently. If we go to the book of Acts, Paul, as he instructs the elders in Ephesus, talks about these false prophets. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Beware in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. These are your pastors. These are your elders. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will, arrive, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. These aren't strangers who just happen to show up one day and start tearing things apart. These are people that came from among their own ranks. Therefore, be alert. Twice Paul has told them to keep their eyes open. To draw, I'm sorry, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. If these people had the teachings of an apostle for three years, someone who had direct instruction from the Lord himself, how much more do we need to be on guard today? Now, before we continue, I do need to make a distinction. There is a difference between a ravenous wolf, false prophet, and someone who is misguided. Someone who is teaching something they believe to be true and wants the best for you, but needs to be instructed. Going back to the book of Acts, Apollos had to be instructed in private by Priscilla and Aquila. And after he was instructed, he corrected things. There is a difference between somebody who thinks they're teaching you what is right and someone who is drawing you astray because they actually want the worst for you. There is a difference. However, you are to be on guard for both. You're not excused because someone is not a false prophet to just pass over false teaching. You have to be on guard. So be like your sentry and stand your post. But you may ask, how... Will I be able to tell them apart if they can blend in so easily by their fruit? Okay. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. Now, I have the privilege of being surrounded by farmers where I live, and many of you are farmers, and many of you grow your own food. But as I've understood more about farming, there are some conditions that need to be met for the trees to grow to produce fruit. They need fertile soil, they need a good amount of water and sunshine, and a couple other factors. But then there are still some trees that even in the right conditions just don't bear good fruit. And many of us can tell when that fruit is bad, right? We might be able to tell with the color or the appearance of it. We might be able to tell with how it smells, how it feels, maybe how it tastes. And it gives us clues in determining, is it good fruit or bad fruit? but we can't determine this if we don't know what a good fruit looks like, feels like, smells like, or tastes like. We can't do that. The same thing is here when it comes to our faith. You can't detect a true or false teacher if you don't know the word of God. That is a prerequisite because you won't know the difference. To know it so well that you can taste it, you can see it, you can touch it. It's part of your very being. That's how we're supposed to know the scriptures. We must know the word of God. We must seek him daily and through his word and with a burning passion for his truth. It takes a daily renewing of our mind to saturate ourselves in the truth that Jesus preached to us, the good news he gave us. He is our king 
And the way that we know him is to seek him through the scriptures. That's how we know how to follow him or else we will be like those who Paul writes to in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 11.4, it says this. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. That's not a good thing. He continues on, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. You almost get the Trinity here. There's a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a gospel that was given by our Father. They'll believe anything. We cannot be these people. Every one of us is responsible for saturating ourselves in the truth. Every one of you. It's not your pastor's job. It's yours. So much that when someone preaches a different Jesus, like the one who's he's loving and he would never condemn anyone to hell, you can shoot that down immediately. Or when someone presents a spirit that is different from the Holy Spirit, you can reject it. Or when truth that's labeled as gospel is presented to you, you can faithfully expose it. My brothers and sisters, be diligent. Back to our text. Is it, is it just not on? Our text says, in the condition of the fruit, it says here that you will know them by their fruits, and that every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees bear bad fruit. It tells us something. It tells us that the condition of the fruit displays the character of the tree. So when we look at the fruit, it tells us about our tree. But notice also it says here that neither can a good tree produce bad fruit. Take a moment to appreciate the grace of that. That the God in heaven that we serve not only chose you, redeemed you, made his, his, him your child, his child, he also is making sure that you bear good fruit and he's doing it through you. That's grace, that you are able to bear good fruit. So when it comes to this fruit that he is bearing through you, and it comes to these false prophets, how could we tell them apart? Well, it's helpful to have a couple ways in which you can do so. First, does what they say line up with Scripture? That is plain and simple, easy to know. Does what they say line up with the Bible? We judge everything by the Bible, not our feelings. We must emulate the Bereans in Acts 17. Next slide. In Acts 17, Paul and Silas are sent over to uh, Berea. And they are told uh, in that time that they went straight to the synagogue. There it is. They went straight to the synagogue. And he says that now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. These are honorable Jews. It says that they received the word with eagerness. We're all supposed to be eager to take in the word of God. But here's the important part examining the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Everything that Paul the Apostle said, they judged by the scriptures. They didn't just believe him. And many of them therefore believed. Not because of Paul's eloquence, not because of his authority or status, but because the Bible said so. That's what we're called to do. Number two, do they claim to know something new? There's nothing new under the sun. Here's an easy way to remember this. If it's new, it's probably not true. And if it's true, it's probably not new. God does not change. His word does not change, and the truth does not 
change. Number three, how do they live? When you spend time with people, and that's a prerequisite, you must spend time with people, people tend to show you their true colors. Do they practice what they preach? I've heard that a lot of times. Do they, are they living out their Christianity, or are they hypocrites disguised as true believers? You can't find that without spending time with them. But some even are good at hiding the truth even when you spend time with them. So you must be aware, you must be alert and paying attention, no falling asleep. Lastly, what does their teaching produce? Does it produce unity in the body of Christ? And I'm not talking about that nobody has conflict. I'm talking about even during conflict where you disagree. Is there unity among you because you serve the same God? Are they producing unity among the body in this building and outside of this building? Is there unity? Are they producing encouragement to you as you seek God? Are they pushing you closer to him? When you fall, do they pick you up? When you do well, do they praise God with you? Are they encouraging you? Are you being enlightened to the truth of right doctrine? And there is right doctrine. Or do you seem to look more like Jesus because of them? Are they encouraging you to be more like the Savior you serve? These are some simple ways that you can judge a false prophet or a false teacher. These things are not going to be easy to detect. I'm not going to lie. That is why we have to be discerning. That is why we have to be diligent. Because we're not looking for almost right. We're looking for the truth. Charles Spurgeon, considered to be the prince of preachers, has a wonderful quote that I love very, very much. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. That's proper discernment. It's easy to tell what's easily wrong. But to see the difference between how I started the message and there was infiltrations of falsehood throughout it. But it was subtle. It wasn't easy to detect. You had to be paying attention. And don't just take my word for it. Ask the Apostle John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Here it is. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. We have clear instruction. We are to be on our guard. We are to seek truth in all that we do. And just because someone claims authority or says, this is what the Bible says, you have to test it. Don't just believe everyone. Don't just believe me. I'm standing right for you. I'll throw myself right under the bus. You should test everything that I say by your Bible. Everything. Even your pastor, anyone else that's in front of you, you must test it. You must be diligent. Don't just believe man. We're fallible. We can be led away and led astray. Now, I'm not teaching you this to tell you to distrust everybody or to distrust your pastor. What I'm telling you is to keep your eyes open and to listen for the truth, to seek God first. Be on your guard and look at their fruit that they produce as evidence of their faith. By the way, this is why James says that not many of you should become teachers because you will be scrutinized for it. And you should, I should. Everything I say should be held to accountability. So does everybody else. But what if we don't? What if we just sit by on idle and just hang out? Also, what happens to these false prophets for their sins? Jesus continues with one of the most terrifying statements in all of Scripture. 
He tells us in the next section what's going to happen with the people who take the wide path. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works or miracles in your name? And here's the terrifying part. I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's terrifying. First thing I want to point out here is the way that we read this text, okay? So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, there's a, there's a way that you can take this in a couple of different ways. You can think of this as a continuation of talking about the false prophets, that verse 20 to 21 is a continuation. I don't see it that way. And you test that on your own. But I see this as a different, distinct topic because Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount is going from topic to topic to topic to topic. And there's not really good transitions in between each one. So here, we're not just talking about false prophets, even though they're included among this warning. We're talking about specific people who do not actually follow Jesus, not just false prophets. This is a transition. So that said, the first thing to point out is, who are they talking to? Who's the me? It's Jesus. When we get to judgment day, we are going to stand before Christ all of these false prophets, all of these people leading you astray, everyone who doesn't actually follow Christ will be judged by him. You're going to be held accountable for your actions. Next, we also see that these people are, are liars because they say they have the audacity to call Jesus Lord when their heart is far from revering him as such. But it tells us that just because you call Jesus Lord, it does not mean that you will enter the kingdom. It's more than that. The demons believe, and they could ace in a theology exam, and they're not coming with us. The false prophets can impress you with their authenticity, but neither of those qualify you for salvation. The Sermon on the Mount tells us about the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's telling us about. But he's also said that even if you speak things about Christ as Lord, it doesn't mean you will enter. You guys have heard of a lie detector before, right? You might have seen one on a crime show. Some of you have probably maybe taken one. Don't need to raise your hands. <laughs> maybe you've seen one there, but God's lie detector is perfect because he is perfect. You cannot just blow by on falsehood. You're not going to get in by tricking God. He knows. And if we remember that our greatest commandment is not to believe or to confess, it is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Anything less than this is counterfeit. It will not pass the test. Entering through the kingdom is about doing the Father's will. That's what we're missing. Well, what is the Father's will, Jesus? That you put your faith into Christ and your trust, that you repent from your sins and you obey all that Jesus has commanded us, including keeping your eyes open for false prophets and false teaching. That's what he commands us to do. Take for a moment to see that the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling us something. He's informing us that this new covenant is much more than just law-keeping or heartlessly following commands like the Pharisees did. That's not the point. They're missing it. They thought they had eternal life, and they didn't. And like them, people in Christianity under the new covenant can follow Jesus. They can call him Lord, serve in his name, just like new, new Covenant Pharisees. 
just doing it because it's of the motion, because they're told to. Jesus is pointing out a shift. He's raising the bar for us. It's the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. That your works righteousness will not save you. It had no place in the Old Covenant and will have no place in the New Covenant. They think because of what they did for Jesus, it will gain them entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And it won't. No amount of miracles, prophesying, casting out demons will save you on judgment day. You cannot earn your way into heaven. It will not work. It is purely by the grace of the Father, through the relationship with his Son, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life as evidence of your faith. It has to come from a relationship with Jesus. No other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. And this relationship has to be deep. It has to be honest. It has to be authentic. It's got to be real. And that relationship requires two sides. It's not enough that you know Jesus. He has to know you. Those false prophets didn't have a real relationship. These people do not have a real relationship. That's the requirement. Look at verse 23. What does Jesus say? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. How many of you would want to hear from your beloved, I don't know you. I don't want to ever see you again. It's a terrifying thing to hear from Jesus. And how many of us have had jobs where we work for somebody, but we don't know them? When I was younger, I worked for Home Depot. I might have known the guy's name, the CEO, probably not. I worked for him. I produced for him. But did I know him? No. I didn't know his children. We didn't go golfing together. I wasn't in his home having a meal. I worked for the guy, produced for the guy, but I never knew him. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. It's not that you work for Jesus. It's that you know him. It's a personal relationship. Then he follows up with, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness is sin. They are practicing this. And what a terrifying statement to hear. You impersonated a follower of Christ in your life, and now you will spend eternity apart from him in damnation in hell. That's the gravity of what Jesus just said. We should take it as such. Paul clearly tells us also in 1 Galatians, I'm sorry, in Galatians chapter 1, not 1 Galatians. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Paul is mind blown that these people are turning away. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There is one gospel, only one. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one who preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The word here that Paul is using is anathema, to be cast out, to be removed, to be destined for destruction. That is a serious warning. And now you could say at this point that, but that's for false prophets, John. That's for these people who are preaching a different gospel. That's not for me. That's different. And those are for people that are leading others astray. But don't for a moment think that this warning stops with them. We are all responsible for guarding our hearts, 
protecting our families, and not becoming a false teacher ourselves. You won't get to stand before God on judgment day and say, that guy misled me or I would have known you. It won't happen. No one is excused because of ignorance or laziness. No one. Many of us have heard it's not about what you know, but it's about who you know that deems your success in business or life. And nothing could be further from the truth when it comes to your salvation. Entering the kingdom of God is about, does he know you? Is your relationship intimate? Is he your highest affection? Do you place him above any and everything in your life, yourself, your children, your grandchildren, your work, your money? Is he above all of it? That's the standard. Christ is, should be number one, not, not even in a list. He's a separate category. He is everything. Many of us long to be in heaven. I do too. It might be because sin is no more. It might be because you want to see your loved ones. And it might be because you don't want to go to hell. None of those are, are bad reasons. But we have to remember this. The greatest part of heaven is not the golden streets. It's not the pearly gates. It's not the people there. It's not that no sin exists anymore. It is that Jesus is there and you spend eternity with him. That's why we go to heaven. I pray you never hear these words. It makes me weep for those who will one day. One of the things that this text can stir up for us is how can we be sure of our salvation? How do we know that we're going to heaven? Because these guys are casting out demons and performing miracles and telling God's word the right way. These prophets were saying because of what they did that they earned it. They believe that their works and they deserve the kingdom of God. None of us deserve the kingdom of God. It is because of what Christ has done. It is because the man on the cross who died to pay for my sins rose on the third day in victory over death that any one of us get to stand before God one day. And we have to remember that. It's about him. But if you have true belief that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, paid for your sins, and you have given your life over to him, you should have full assurance and confidence in your salvation and among the people of God in eternity. You should not have anything to worry about. But the only reason that you should feel some sense of fear or sadness when you read these words is for those who do not know Christ. When you read them, are you filled with an urgency to share the truth of God's word with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family, when the, with the person across from you in the pew, and with yourself every single day? That way, no one can lead you astray like these false prophets, or you don't put your faith in your works like these people. As we finish today, there's three things I want to leave with you. One, be on your guard. Do not relinquish. Be in God's word. And whatever any man tells you, compare it to your Bible. 
A fear that pastors have is that our congregations amount to nothing more than a sermon appreciation society instead of being truth seekers. Be like the Bereans who when Paul instructed them, they searched the scriptures daily to make sure it was true. To look at the fruit. Look out for bad fruit. You're going to keep your eyes open. Observe. And don't let anybody just lead you and teach you about the kingdom of heaven. And for you fathers out there, it's Father's Day. Do not just sit by and think about, it doesn't matter who teaches my children about the kingdom. You are to be discerning. You are to make sure you protect your family. And three, and this is the important one, do the Father's will. Above all things, do the Father's will. Cling to your personal relationship with Jesus. That's the important part. Not your good works, not your good character. Cling to him. He's the only way you will see God's throne in heaven. It won't matter on that day whether you know him. It will matter if he knows you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these words that we read are hard these words that we read are, can bring up fear in our hearts that none of us want to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And these words telling us about the false prophets who exist that want to just tear apart the flock like a wolf does to sheep. But we know as we read them, our Savior, our God, is our protector. That he will see us through, that the good fruit will be produced into us if we place our faith and trust in you and not into this world, and definitely not into ourselves. I pray that those hearing this message, and myself, as we walk out of here, we have proper discernment, that we trust our Savior, and that we seek you daily through the scriptures so none of us can be led away from you. Thank you for the day. Thank you for the hearts you've given us. And may all that we do glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray.